I'm Joanna Fortune, psychotherapist and author of the 15-minute parenting series of books. Welcome to my 15-minute parenting podcast, where I take a common parenting struggle and break it down with practical, playful solutions. Let's get going. A parent reached out to me recently asking about creative ways to manage nightmares with their school-aged child. In the course of a discussion, he also referred to the child as waking in a terrified state and that they might scream, seemingly asleep yet sitting up awake at the same time. And one night they could hear the child walking around and it seemed in this sleep-like state they had managed to walk to the bathroom and were sitting in the empty bath when they found them. Um, The child had no recollection of walking to the bathroom the next day when they spoke about it. And this prompted me to wonder if this child was perhaps experiencing night terrors more than nightmares. And this distinction, this question about nightmares or night terrors is something that frequently comes in on the weekly radio show on News Talk FM. And just to flag, because I've mentioned it in other episodes and people have reached out saying, oh, how do I get in touch with you there? That The parenting slot is every Wednesday just after the 3 p.m. news on the Sean Moncrief show on News Talk FM. And you can send your questions to me there by emailing afternoons at newstalk.com. But back to the topic of nightmares, because that's what I really want to focus on in this episode of the podcast. And let's start by breaking it down into what is a nightmare and what is a night terror to understand it a bit more. I mean, nightmares and bad dreams are tricky. They're sensitive subjects to explain to your child. You know, understanding their descriptions of what are basically unconscious visuals can be hard to decipher. And explaining these pictures uh, is just can be completely unreal. That they are unreal is very challenging. And having your child's room decorated in a way that they like or even better, a way that they have been involved in choosing can add to their sleeping experience because sleeping can often be challenging in general for kids, but specifically when they're on their own in their bedroom separated from you. So creating an environment that is very much of them, for them, about them, and that they feel a high degree of comfort and ownership of is really, really important. When your child comes into your bedroom looking for comfort after a scary dream, walk with them back to their own room, lie with them or beside them for a while, reassure them that they're safe, check for, you know, whatever it is that if they say there's monsters under the bed, check and don't say there's no monsters here because you validate the monsters. Instead, say there's only shoes here. There's a monster in the wardrobe. You don't say there's no monsters in the wardrobe. You open the wardrobe and say there's only coats or clothes in here. But you're reassuring them, maybe, you know, sing a little song, rub their back until they're peacefully asleep again. Comfort, basically, whatever that looks and sounds like for your child. But it's important, you know, that's a scary dream and what you can handle and your child might relax and go back asleep. But we have to differentiate between what is a nightmare and a night terror because they are quite different. Nightmares usually happen in the middle of a child's sleep, certainly after they've been asleep for a few hours. Often the child remembers the dream, sometimes in vivid detail, and they will know that they've had a bad dream. They'll talk about having had it, even if they don't remember all of the details. You might hear some groaning or whimpering. Um, tossing or turning is also possible but they wouldn't normally thrash around in the bed or scream or yell or run around or sleepwalk because the nightmare dreamer recalls that they had a bad dream and how it 
felt with or without detail, they benefit from talking about it with you, perhaps reflecting on what it might mean to them or what might have caused it. Night terrors, on the other hand, happen during the first few hours of sleep. They're accompanied by loud yelling or screaming and thrashing in the bed, and it can be very, very difficult to fully wake the child, though they can be partially awake like the parent who reached out to me and still in the night terror. And when you do wake them, your child generally will not remember much at all, if anything, of the dream that they were having or or what was happening. They won't remember they were screaming when you say it to them. What are you talking about? And when this happens, we want to try to engage the child in talking about the sensation they felt rather than the detail of what happened. They can sometimes recall an overwhelming sensation or perhaps one small scene or a character in the dream sequence. Just try to capture whatever you can. You know, most often, however, it must be said they don't remember anything at all from the dream and may even be surprised, you know, when you mention it the next day or they may ask you, why did you wake me up when you do wake them up, that they're actually not aware of what's happening. And it's not really known what causes night terrors in young children. Usually they disappear by puberty, though there are cases, you know, some cases of adults who experience them or maybe experience them as children and then re-experience them. Um, as adults and these cases can usually be linked directly to periods of high levels stressful daytime situations and they tend to disappear once the stress is dealt with there'll always be exceptions that's why I'm saying they tend to because someone will all say that's not my experience and that is entirely valid they can also run in families you know if a parent experienced night terrors as a child their child may have an increased risk of experiencing them they are generally whatever the cause they are generally transient children tend to outgrow them by you know middle childhood certainly as I said by the onset of puberty but you know usually by eight or nine they have gone you can observe your child of course for possible anxiety behaviors you know such as a sudden change in appetite becoming withdrawn or quiet becoming upset when going to or coming home from school any sudden unexplained changes in behavior you can certainly observe for those be curious track those could there be an underlying cause for this but also know that sometimes there is no apparent trigger for a night terror they just happen and while many professionals will simply suggest you ride it out that there's no treatment and largely that's true you know there's very inconsistent stuff about what works, what doesn't work, what people find useful. But one approach that has proven successful, at least somewhat successful for some families and putting a lot of caveats in here because it doesn't work for everyone. Because like I said, night terrors can often be unexplained phenomena that they come for no apparent reason and they disappear and you don't know what it was about. Your child outgrows them. But you could try something like this if it is something that is a recurring thing that you're dealing with with your child. This is night terrors, not nightmares. I'll talk about what you can do with nightmares as well. But for a night terror, and you know it's been a pattern, your child has them within the first few hours of going to sleep. Let your child fall asleep completely, like completely asleep. And then fully, fully wake them up around three to five minutes after they've been fully asleep. So not just, you know, they've closed their eyes, but they're in that deep sleep. Wake them up. I know as a parent, that sounds so crazy and counterintuitive. So like I said, this is just a suggestion. You don't have to do it. But once you have them awake, you know, and I mean awake, wet face cloth in the face, wide awake, ensure that they're wide awake, then resettle them back to sleep. 
again. Okay, and doing this can alter the abnormal sleep patterns of the in-between sleep states, you know, that state between sleep and awake, and it can prevent the night terror. It's a technique that has had some success. I've certainly, you know, worked with families where it has had success. I've worked with families, by the way, where it hasn't worked either. I'd give everything a go and, you know, three to five times. If it isn't working, let it go. If it is, super. It's a technique, though, that basically can trick the brain into thinking it has been asleep and woken up, and that can be enough to break the pattern that results in the night terror. However, if you're concerned about sleep disturbance in your child, you should absolutely seek professional advice on it, okay? And I would strongly encourage you to do that. But bear in mind, it might be something you just need to ride out. And if you have a child who walks around upstairs in in a sleep-like state and you're concerned, maybe get a stair gate for the stairs just for safety issues as well. So nightmares or let's get back to the more kind of basic everyday nightmares or, you know, bad dreams. They can also be, by the way, a traumatic experience for children and it can affect their sleep pattern and routine. You know, if your child's had a few nightmares or the same nightmare, you know, repeatedly, they may be reluctant to go to bed. They may say they're not tired. They may wake themselves up in the early hours and need reassurance during the night from you. They might wake up to check, are you there? You know, so here is something that I absolutely believe in. It's a tried and tested technique to address children's nightmares or bad dreams. And the key here is it always works. Okay, being supremely confident about this is a key part of the success of this technique. So if you're doubtful, don't do it. You have to be supremely confident. If your child experiences a nightmare, or recurring bad dreams, set aside a block of time the next day to sit with them. Ensure that you have uninterrupted time. Now, 15 minutes should be enough time, but you could allow up to 30 minutes just to give it your full attention. You're going to need paper, two sheets, blank paper, markers or crayons or pencils or something like that. Sit down with your child and tell them that you know a way of stopping bad dreams that always works. Be supremely confident in how you sell this. I can't emphasize that enough. Invite them to think about the bad dream and to draw the bit of the dream that scares them most. Reflect on what you see in this drawing without projecting your own thoughts. For example, I see this black bit here. I wonder what that is. The use of wondering can help your child go deeper into the dream, but it doesn't put pressure on them if they don't want to. A direct question can put pressure on them to produce an answer for you. And that can be counterproductive here. Then tell them that dreams are exactly like movies and that they are the director of the dream. So they get they can decide to yell, cut, and they can change the scene. Have them look at the scary drawing and yell, cut. Now invite them to think about how they would like the dream to go. What would they like to happen instead of this scary bit that would make it a happier dream? Have them visualize the happier change, what it looks like, how it feels. Have them really bring that feeling inside themselves. You know, the colors, the shapes, the sounds, as much detail as they can. And when your child has the new scene in their mind, have them draw this new scene for the dream on the second piece of paper. Again, reflect on what you see using wondering to encourage them to talk about this happier scene, but don't interrogate or question. Now tell your child that they can tear up the scary part and throw it away and go with them as they bring the new happy dream scene into their bedroom. They can either stick it to the wall by their bed so that they see it every night or they can place it under their pillow, whichever they prefer. And again, reiterate that this 
always works so that the bad dream won't come back again. The dream itself is important. It is your child's way of unconsciously processing thoughts during the night. So it is equally important that you spend some time during this process reflecting and wondering with them about the bad or scary parts of the dream. This enables them to put words and feelings to what is happening, to bring it from their unconscious to their conscious thinking and awareness, which allows them to process it and let it go. The happier drawing empowers them to believe that they can change the dream, take control of it and change the ending, ultimately reaffirming that when something is scary, they can discuss it with you, think about it, talk about changing the scary thing and then let it go. It also allows you and your child to hopefully, and I really do believe, to enjoy a restful sleep again. Now, look, this technique doesn't mean that your child will never have another bad dream. You can use it again and again as necessary. You're trying to stop a recurring dream, a particular dream. But if other dreams appear or present themselves, repeat the technique with them. It's particularly effective when a child is is experiencing those recurring ones. So note that if there's a pattern of recurring or frequent bad dreams, it might indicate an underlying anxiety or worry or fear or something else is going on that's underpinning that dream formation. In which case, if you think, look, there is some more to that when they're talking about the dream, when they're drawing it, that they give you more detail as it relates to something in their real life, in their everyday life, you might want to consider seeking professional advice or support from a child psychotherapist, child psychologist or play-based therapist. But I hope you enjoy that. I hope it is helpful for you and I hope it at least shines a light on some of these nighttime phenomena that our children experience. Thank you for listening. I'd love if you could leave a positive review, share this with a friend or a few friends, or even subscribe to the podcast. It really helps others to find it and helps with visibility online. You can also follow me on Instagram at Joanna Fortune or on Twitter at the Joanna Fortune. No E at the end of that. Tune in next time for more 15-minute parenting.